is Germain Health, the center to help you achieve wellness in both your brain and body. We endeavor to encourage cross-communication between health professionals for your health and well-being. We'll bring you topics on neuropsychology, neurobehavior, neuromusculoskeletal, neurogastro, movement is well-being, metabolism, and microbiome, which are also some of the services that we provide. And today we'll be finishing up our HIP series. So this is part two of our two-part series. We'll be talking to you about some of the commonly seen conditions or injuries of the hip and what our approach to care was in each of these cases. I have Dr. Shemaine Wong with me today. So say hello, Shemaine. Hello. Shemaine, what do you think we should start with? The one that we see most commonly or the one that people are most afraid of? We'll touch on the lightest topics first, I guess. The ones that we see most commonly will be bursitis, tendonitis. And tendinopathy, or ten- yeah, ten- tendinosis, tendinosis, all three of them. Usually, what happens is that for these people, it's either that it's um wear and tear, or severe inflammation in general in their bodies. So generally, they fall into two categories. There might be another one, but this is the most common. Usually, if it's an inflammation in not just in the hip joint itself, but in multiple areas. I will start to think that it's it is likely to be closer towards a gut issue, yeah. gut health, general inflammation or in and of itself. Sometimes a person is would be tested for rheumatoid factors mm-hmm. as a result of that. Yep. And you don't have to be granted, you don't have to be a rheumatoid factor positive to have rheumatoid arthritis. That's correct. Just a common misconception. However, it's largely related to a lot of overall inflammation throughout mm. the body as compared to just one thing or one one region or one activity oh, yeah that's all right yeah. if it's activity related then i would think that it's a person the person's either the, their programming it comes down to either their programming or their the way the mechanics are or the way that they are being coached yeah execution or, and 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 then execution that's correct um, so these are the four main things that generally can happen to result in hip pain. You said you said timing as well, didn't you? Programming. Yeah. Including timing of the programs, yeah? Not including timing of the programs, but that can yeah. that can be one of them. Yeah, sorry, yeah. it jumped it just jumped yeah. into my head for the that, ones that, that would ex- be a that would be a component within yeah. programming. It's not so much of timing itself, so to speak. <laughs> Sometimes it could be I mean a lot of times it, it, it is activity either they are sitting too much and then after that yeah that, 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 was what, that was what I had more yeah. the, the timing of where they're like oh yeah cool just need to go do something and it's the something that they yeah. choose to do is right. just not ready their body's not ready for it that's right yeah. or execution they go like yeah I'll go do a high intensity interval training and, or high interval intensity training whichever they use and what happens is that they for example a burpee say and then, and they would go and do burpees and they would land wrongly and the impact almost always go up the knee and then up the hip. Yeah. Then they have this deep butt, buttock pain, but everything else in their body is, body is also collapsing at the same time. So what do you do then? You know, I mean, I have, I know what I do, I'll do for them. Whether they would respond and listen it's and different. is a different thing and yeah. different matter altogether. As for everyone else who listens to us and they are coaches and PTs, like PC, not physical therapists, um, 
personal, personal training, training in this case. And you would find that what sometimes whatever they say to their clients, unless the client has a good compliance rate, then it's ignored. It's ignored. Yeah. Or on the flip side is that the, the um, PT or MPT does not have enough information and do not know how to piece together a a good program for the requ- the requirements of that person's system. Yeah. So th- these are some of that. Then we have got the labral tears. So she's going more into your, like Shireen just said, labral tears, your impingements. So a lot of the time an impingement can be caused by a, the labral tear. Because we often hear people come in and say, "All right, they've been they've been told they've got an impingement in their hip." Granted, we hear this for other areas, and we've discussed this in the past. But a lot of the time, people forget that an impingement can be caused by any or every structure that's pretty much around the the joint itself. So mm-hmm. when people come in saying, "All right, I've got an impingement," is not very diagnostic or not helpful in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And then we have to we regardless. We have to investigate ourselves, and usually, if we're concerned for an impingement, yeah. we will send off for imaging. Be- yes, and be- because you can't, you most most of the time, nobody. It's very rare that even using your orthopedic testing, you'll be a hundred percent set on one particular orthopedic test. Will give you exact response, saying, "All right, this is a hundred percent going to be just say a labral tear, or it's an impingement due to." assist or anything of the sort they are not as much as they're supposed to be there to help their tests but they're not reliability is not 100 percent in any case so for example just to jump in on that a lot of patients will come in and go i've got a hip impingement and we will ask them how do you know that oh i've gone to xyz abc and they said i've got a hip impingement it's like okay what does that mean have you had an imaging done an mri specifically you said no uh, all right. So how do you know then? They, they'll go, I don't know. They just told me I've had a hip impingement. Hip impingement is like, it can be anything from a subluxation. In this case, subluxation means more just not sitting correctly rather than a full-blown mm-hmm. dislocation in That's the medical right. terms. Subluxation anteriorly, subluxation posteriorly. Um, it could be even be, it be some, occasionally it can be subluxated in superior inferior, superior so. inferior, yeah. uh, external yeah. external yeah. internal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, uh, it's like so many ranges they can be subluxated, and and they, most of these people, uh, most of these uh, descriptions will follow follow one with. I have a hip impingement. By the way, I have a leg length difference. Yeah. I had the exact same thought in my head. I was, I was going to say whether we're going to jump into this one or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a leg line reference and my pelvis is imbalanced. Yeah. I'm like, I got one side higher than the other. Yes. And all my uh, um, SIJ, uh, so they usually don't use sacred electron. No. They usually use SIJ. Which, which, which usually means they've seen somebody else in the past yeah. that's taught to them. Now I'm going, do you know what, where's your SIJ? She's like, yeah, could you? Point out to me where's your SIJ, then they'll kind of roam about the area. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not quite correct. <laughs> just just like the groin versus the hip. <laughs> yeah, just like the groin versus the hip. And that's what can happen quite commonly. Of course it will. So the thing the thing is that we have this insider joke. Um, within checking in myself and um Sarah, Sarah. too. 
And then, you know, um, well, we know that like length is not accurate. It's very, very inaccurate no. in, in diagnos- diagnosis. Un- unless you're completely x-raying, say, a full body, and we're talking full body, not just your spine to see the pelvic levels, but we're talking you've got your your femur, your f- full length of the femur and your full length of the fibulas and stuff, fibula, mm. fibula and tibia, then, yeah, you can maybe compare and say, all right, Somebody's got a short leg mm-hmm. based on the length of either the femur being shorter or the tibia or the fibula somewhere. There's there's a shortening of one side compared to the other. So then, it, it is a physical and structural, physical, yes. structural abnormality of that, the bone. That's mm. that's exactly when that's then it's correct. Then you ha- you can actually turn around and say I've got a shorter leg or I've got I've, my leg length is di- different on each side. No mm. problem. Majority of everyone that comes in that says oh I've got one leg that's longer than the other or shorter than the other is predominantly a lot of the time something that's been that's occurred over time where the biomechanics have changed mm. as a result of them either carrying around poor biomechanics as we mentioned earlier or an injury of some sort where they are where they do end up placing a lot of lot more weight onto one side versus the other so one just ends up sitting higher the pelvis itself ends up rotating inwards rotating backwards rotate being pulled up pulled up higher dropping lower depending on which way it's trying to adjust to try and compensate for the injury on usually the opposite side that is true. At the same time, also our well, our eyes have got to be balanced, mm. and that's how the the brain keeps information, makes sense of the world. So everything under that will readjust itself yes. in order to keep you balanced, yes. regardless of whether you're carrying an injury or not. So some sports that are very asymmetrical, like soccer, soccer yes, is a bigger one. Footy, footy, footy is a really odd one. They don't have the entire, you know. Or rotation mm-hmm. into uh, delivering a kick. This is just short, sharp. Yeah, yeah. that's a shorter and sharper. And whereas um, soccer's got whereas soccer has this, just wind up, wind up to reach for um the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know, 15, 20 meters, thirty meters distance. Um, I don't know about the thirty meters distance. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of wind up. Whereas um, wind up means you you see their entire body rotate. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. mountain bikers. Is a big one. Snowboarders is a big yep. one. Not so much the skiers, but the snowboarders. Yeah, because one side's the front one, mm-hmm. one side's the back. Yeah, but skiers have uh, have would experience quite a bit of a hip pain. I don't mm. know much about hip injuries, but hip pain they would do that because of the way they are locked down in the skis mm-hmm. and as well as the whole leaning positions. If they're going, yeah, yeah. As they're descending the... Cross country probably a bit different, but down more more so speaking of downhill ski uh, downhill skiing at the moment. Yeah, that's right. So well, and and then we have got and then we've got. Sorry, I'm trying to think of what else is very unilateral. We have got um, surfing would be another one. It'd have to be surely. You've got surfing yes. on one side more so dependent on the, yeah. than the other. Well, surfing usually people well the people who come in who talk about surfing it's not so much in in the hip joint. What they commonly complain about, or I've seen a number of them mm-hmm. complain about, is the lower back. It's much more the lower oh, back, yeah. including the hip joint flank. Not so much just one thing joint itself. itself. Yeah, yeah sure, cool. We don't see that much in no. swimmers as well. We don't. Um, there might be for some, but not much. You see it in runners, especially ones that run on like an angle where mm-hmm. the ground's not one hundred percent flat. Not, not we're not talking yeah. uphill or downhill, but we're talking on a side angle. Yeah. The the 
the one word that I can never remember. But runners copy, do copy it a lot because because they have got very overused TFLs, yeah. TFLs and ITBs. So when when that happens, they are depending on what kind of running you do. Really, um, if you're doing sprinting, generally it's okay. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, if you're doing um, marathons or triathlons, then it's I think they copy it a so bit it's more. A lot more lateral. Yeah, even the uh, trail trail. Trail, trail runners, runners, yeah. runners. I don't think they copy as much as, no, as well. No, it, it again uses different musculature mm. in in the for trails. That's correct. And you have to you you have no choice in a lot of the trail running. You actually have to rely on your glutes mm. to get past it because the ankle unless unless you've got the best ankles ankle support whatsoever, mm. your ankles are that 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 well stable that stabilized that you can entirely rely on that. You need your big muscles working for you to be able to keep you stable mm. when trail running. Yeah, a lot of long distance runners tend to, as opposed to switching off, switching on their glutes, especially when they're starting to fatigue. A lot of them end up switching them off, which is probably the worst time for them to well, switch to switch them off. Yes, but switching on and off, it's not like it's, a it's not like a light switch. It's not that they do it initially. Yeah, it's not that lights off. It's it's it's. <laughs> You don't kind of really flick it on and off. Like no. No. What she means is that uh, uh, muscular endurance and neuromuscular yeah. endurance within the uh, within the glute, glutes, glute me, muscles. Me, yeah. Me, me, Gluteus me. muscles. A lot of all these sports, regardless of whether you do sport or not, you do need to have pretty strong glutes. And in order to well, keep your body upright, really, yeah. and, and for walking. So what a lot of um, marathon runners don't have very much is the glute strength and pelvic stability that comes along with that. So, like you just said, the endurance isn't there. Mm. They'll be there for a short period and then mm. they'll start losing it. Yes. Especially in the triathletes. So, and also sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, people go all isolated and go like, all right, try to switch on your glutes and think really, really hard about switching your glutes. And you, and the person will probably, probably doing it for like 16 weeks. Mm-hmm just to really, really switch on your glutes. And sometimes they would describe it in a way that go, oh, yes, I've been told I've got weak glutes. And I said, well, so what do you do about it? And they would go, I have trained it a lot, but it doesn't seem to work. Yeah. Yes, because, well, it literally cannot. If we have those, those soft, tissues, not, soft tissues are not addressed. Yeah. If the soft tissues are not addressed or the um, neural, patterns are, neural patterns are not addressed, then we start having a recurring symptom pattern. So as a as a result of that, we when a person comes in and they say to us, I have got a hip pain and leg leg difference and all those kind of things, we still have got to do a full ortho well, testing and, and we have got to you know try to piece their story together. So that takes the, the bulk of the time really. A lot of the time, yeah. yeah. And and in order for us to come to a story or I mean, I mean, formulate a story, their story, your story, your own experience of what is happening to your body versus what has been told Cold to you to. in the past versus what you have been doing. So there are a lot of variables that um, have got to be taken into consideration before we vomit out <laughs> a differential or if initial impression or diagnosis. And this is also why you may have seen with us, we're also not the first ones to automatically jump the gun and go, all right, let's make sure we've got x-rays of 
every pretty much every area that you're presenting with. We send, as you know, we send for the imaging when we see it's required, not just having everyone being x-rayed or imaged, ultrasounded willy-nilly when there's no, no need for it, which you do see in a few other practices sometimes. It's common practice that need to have a baseline x-ray to compare everything to. We do have a lot of the time when we do get, say, an MRI done and we have a follow in the report, it says a follow-up, say, an X-ray would be would be appropriate to get a baseline view of, in this case, we're talking about the hips, so say both hips, then we'll also order those to make sure that there isn't any bony changes going on or to see what extent there are especially with a few of the conditions when we're talking about impingements here and we touched on it briefly um, in our last podcast was with the FAI, so your femoral acetabular impingements. So whether it was your your cam or your pincers or your mixed type of both, those ones, as much as they can present on an MRI to get a full view of the actual bony structure itself, how the acetabulum, how the actual socket and the, the femoral the femoral head and the, the little ball are sitting. The radiologist will usually recommend doing a baseline bilateral hip x-ray, so double double hip x-ray. So you've got a comparison of one to the other as well. Mm-hmm. As a lot of the time it does tend to be, especially in I've seen it more commonly, I'm not sure if you have Shemaine, more commonly seems to present in males that have been involved in a lot of the running kicking sports mm-hmm. um, in younger years. That yes, they do tend to have a lot more of the the cam impingements or the pincers showing up on x-rays if the x-ray is taken or mm. if, if, if the x-ray is positive, yeah. yeah. If the x-ray is positive. So it's quite funny, given that I well, I do a lot of sport people. I think you see more. Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree. Yeah, you, know, you you do see more cams and mm. um, FAI related issues. I see more yeah. of the replacements. Yeah, my poor people always just end up having to get arthroscopes done. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mine already come in with with a with an artificial yep, hip yep, joint yep, in there. Yep. So so it's quite different the way we the, uh, the it just happens. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's true. like the, either it can go either way, but it just so happens that yeah, we've had a trend recently yeah. of very, very similar to that. Yeah. I agree. So I had one lady a long time, long long time ago when when we I first started. I'm not sure you you were with us before, but so this lady she had bilateral hip replacement already. Jeez. And she was in her 40, 40s, almost 50s. Very young. That's, that's yeah. very, very young. And she she goes away a lot for uh, for work mm-hmm. because that's what was required for her work. And she couldn't squat. She couldn't lunge. She, could, she couldn't do anything. By the time by the time that she was... By the time she was coming in here, she, she was really upset. She was so devastated. She was almost crying. Well, she cried twice because... Everything was painful. Mm-hmm. The other time was everything was not painful, and she could squat, she could lunge, she could her she had was she had a good time with recovery, and she really and managed to get on track and going on with her with whatever that she wanted to do in her life. But prior to that, a long time ago, she did. I think a lot what a lot of people have done is uh, step aerobics. Oh uh, yeah. Spin glasses and that really fast one with a barbell. I can't remember what it is. I know called. it's pump glass. Yeah, pump glasses. A lot of it. Okay, that's one. A lot of it, and on top of that, a lot of netball. 
I went to one pump class once and I couldn't walk down the stairs. <laughs> uh, well, they're, they're very good at doing that. <laughs> so, so I'm not saying that the classes are bad. It's just that what are you pairing and the objectives of and the, uh, yeah, the and objectives of your own training yeah. versus what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And out of that, out of that, we and she had her her knee arthroscope as yeah. well. So yeah, so that, that case yeah. that was a very rough case. Um, but she was not the only one um with those symptoms. And some other, you know, some other ladies, they're much older and they come in with um bursitis and things like that. You know, in school in university we and we see a lot of those kind of cases yeah. and, and it was very frustrating because all we did was ultrasound. Yeah. Uh, ultrasound, ultrasound, ultrasound. Tens it occasionally. Yeah, mm-hmm. tens occasionally. Yeah. And then you go, all right, good luck, bye. Yeah. See you next if, week. If it's not working, go get a cortisone injection. Yeah. That was pretty much what, at the time. Yeah. That was our. That's right. But um, a lot of them, I, I kind of stayed away from cortisone if possible. Yeah, of course. Um, so what I <laughs> what I decided to do to train all, uh, with all these older, they're not old, they're just older, Folks, is that I decided to give them squats. <laughs> I gave them squats. She, she's not kidding. I'm fairly confident. I remember an 82 or 88 year, something thereabouts that I was doing squats. Yeah, squats with um, kettlebells. She did sets of reps of 10 and about three sets, I think, um, single single um, suitcase kettlebell. So she, hers was a bit different. She came in with back pain. And um, well, we did talk about in the last one that back pain presents, hip pain can be a- That's right. She came in with back pain and she has never had back pain before, but she went to have a train. She went to a YMCA and she had training. I was like, so what are you training for? She's like, oh, I want to go to somewhere in rural Central Asia and um, I want to, I'm worried about the toilets there. So I'm, squat. so I need to learn how to squat. Yep. In the midst of learning how to squat, I got this pain. I said, like, well, show me how it squat. And this, the squat patterns were some um, chunky and challenging at best. And I was like, well, as well, if you're going on the way you're squatting and then, you know, that's going to be problematic yeah. and big issue for you. So, so after a while we did that, we ch- rehabbed her and she was all right. Not much of an issue after that. So those, those are quite good success stories. So that we never really had, um, completely unsuccessful no. story. Um, most people at the very least are back into their sports mm. they may not be competing they but usually it's because it's not necessarily that the the injury itself was the driver to cease competitiveness mm. in their sports it's usually something else has also contributed to work work social balance or work and mm. work and just training balance just was not there um taking work stresses into training was just too much for the body to handle mm. and it was just driving the person into the ground so it's usually if they've if, if anything they've come back they've come out majority of the time relatively fine and everything and recovery recovered enough to train but may not the the the, the at worst case may not go back to full competitiveness mm. i think that's how if if, if well if i had I, a success story with that one a commonwealth athlete oh yeah you're, mm. yeah yeah and she had some some hip issues, but I think that she was will be sharing those with you sometime down the road. Mm-hmm. So listen up for that. It is an upcoming podcast. I get to do the interview. Yes, I I think sometime next week or two weeks time Couple, or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. So 
look up for that. Um, but when we are talking about hip issues, generally these are what we are looking at. Predominantly. Predominantly. Yes. So was there anything else that you thought about that we might have missed? We touched on it briefly last time as well, but the clicking or the snapping hip, you touched on it just before as well with the tight ITV, TFL. We're flipping over and we uh, and I remembered mm. we actually Oh, it could be a, a bit of a torn labrum. Yep, that will mm. sometimes do. Oh, that would be the, that's more the clicking internally that they'll yep. feel you. The snap, this, sorry, let's try this again so that I, I, I don't accidentally confuse you guys. The clicking, Charmaine, is correct. That one's more of the labrum, the tor- to labral tear that you'll be feeling more of a click inside. Yes. When you feel more of a snapping or you hear a more audible snap of the hip, that's what we briefly touched on in our first podcast last week where it's usually the ITB flipping over the femoral head more mm. or less, or the trochanter, I should say, rather than the femoral head. Trochanter. Yeah. Not the femoral head. It's yeah, a bit no. too deep, the femoral <laughs> head, for the for the very superficial. Yep, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I had the extension of the femoral head in my head. Yes. Whilst, whilst I was. But they're all connected. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all connected. Of course they are. Well, they are. They're all connected to the bone itself. That's correct. It just flicks over. So the snapping hip and the clicking are two two different concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably the only other one that we see most commonly as well. You've got anything else? Or we've um, we covered our main? Covered a lot of it. And um, the other one is CrossFit versus, in terms of activities, just CrossFit versus weightlifting. Yep. It's, I find more issues in crossfitters less so for lifting lifting and also horse riders yes with the adductors going on Mm. we see that a fair bit yeah yeah because because the hip joints are perpetually externally rotated yeah yeah in external rotation and elevation yeah yeah so um, that places a lot of stress in the pelvic joint Mm -hmm. Mm. and into directly pretty much directly into that ball and socket part with the with the femoral head being mm. driven directly into that especially acetabulum. if a person doesn't have a deep acetabulum mm-hmm. can also predispose them to dysplasia so dislocation that they're not aware of or a subluxation in this case again not a medical one but a subluxation in mm. the it just not sitting correctly in its socket like Charmaine just said you are correct and we do see that sometimes as well we do have a few horse riders here as well and sometimes the worst thing for a patient is not so much they're coming in with this. It's like they are in between being surgical and not being surgical. That Those are really, really rough because they've got to tolerate the pain. They've got to you know manage their expectations. And the recovery rate can be sketchy at best. But these days, you have got a lot of interventions yeah. that, that will be able to help with that. And really good quality type of um, move, movement rehab. Yeah. As compared to like I don't know ten years ago, I'm not say I'm not dissing those. Those are quite good to help with as well, but I don't think they they would be reducing pain amounts by about eighty by uh, you know, sixty eighty eighty percent on fluctuating day. No, yeah, those are the percentages I, that we're working if, with. If at best mm. they'd be doing them by a placebo effect. That's right. Or just releasing the increasing blood flow, re- releasing um tight muscles, musculature. And tissue mm. tension. However, that doesn't mean that their their patterning has no. changed. The movement pattern has not changed. It remain um, like as if it's a remain injury because it's like whatever your body, whatever injuries if your body goes through, your the brain 
will map that as a pattern of movement. And if it keeps mapping it as a pattern of movement, so you keep having this cyclical pattern of movement. So as a result of that, to create change, we have got to create change in the tissues, create change in how you're moving, and then integrate all of that together. And it's not a, and it's not a process that takes one or three days. It's, it's no. a long it's a long recovery process. Yeah, you're talking about um, let's say on average we have got a for some severe, more severe mm-hmm. cases we have an average of about twelve sessions, say. Yeah. But it's uh, but most of them is separated over, I don't know. 12 months. Yeah, you'd be looking more eight, about that. Yeah, yeah, eight months. Eight to 12 month period, yeah. Eight to 12 month period, mm-hmm. um, or sometimes maybe six. Um, either way, it's you're talking about months because um took that long to create that kind of habit and formulation that happens in, in the in the brain pathways. You're going to create that change over that, that amount of time cool. and so on because we are creating new patterns of habit. So that's... um. That's a big take-home message from yeah. today's podcast, if yeah. anything. Absolutely. We do have people that still want to fast track or still expect faster results when they don't, when, and tend to forget that they've spent many a years doing something oh, yeah. the wrong way than to try and relearn it in a very short time frame. It's never well, the fastest time frame really is about maybe four months, yeah. five months. And four months, five months, and it's not like they are doing a lot of rehab in, no. in our in our clinic. They don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe they at max maximum they would have um I don't know, eight hours maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's not a lot of hours no. given that you're in your body for twenty four seven times three hundred and sixty five hours a year. That's plenty of learned inefficient or less than optimal movement mm-hmm. patterns and mechanics. Yep. Mm. Well that's my lecture for you for today. I believe the next thing that we're going to be going into Would is, be, a new, is a new series, isn't it? Yeah, that'll be a new series. It'll be sciatica. Yay! Everyone loves sciatica. We've had we've had a lot, a fair few requests. So and e- then e- low e- back pain. Yep. Ev- to finish after year. Ev- everyone that's been putting out their requests, we expect these ones that we we expect these plays to be. Got skyrocketing when it comes to the sciatica and the low back pain podcast since these have been requested. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> we'll be keeping an eye on these on these play numbers. Yes. Just just giving you the little scores as the, as we go along with each each next part of the the series. That's true. Just for fun. Just yes. for some fun. Yes. So guys, if you like what we're presenting, please give us a thumbs up, a like, or share it with one other person whom you may think will be able to help. And for those of you who are coaches, dancers, or athletes, and may find difficulty with expressing or executing your movement patterns, please do connect with us on our website, www.germainhealth.com.au. And Germain Health is spelled J-U-R-M-A-I-N-E, health, H-E-A-L-T-H. Or socialize with us on Facebook, also Jermaine Health, or Instagram, which is Jermaine Health Body. And last but not least, since this podcast is made for you, our clients, patients, and fans, do let us know what else you might like to hear about. And that's us for today. Have a good week, guys. Bye-bye. See you.